0: Are you ready? you ready?
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Around the CFL podcast. Anthony here with you again today. And you know what? We don't always get to say we could speak to a legend. But today, I get to say that. Joining us on the podcast today is legendary Hall of Fame receiver Nick Lewis. So we'll be right back and then we'll get into our conversation with the 2021 Hall of Famer. Today, we are joined by one of the best to ever play the game. He's a two-time Grey Cup champion, three-time CFL All-Star, four-time West Division All-Star, one-time East Division All-Star, 2004 CFL Rookie of the Year. He holds the CFL reception record, but most importantly, first ballot Hall of Famer with his induction in 2021. Nick Lewis, welcome. I hey, appreciate
0: you having me on, Anthony.
1: Thank you so much. So the first question I always like to ask everyone who comes on is where it all started. So you attended Southern Arkansas university and you were named a NCAA division II all American. What led you to the CFL?
0: Yeah, it's, it's a pretty interesting story where, you know, going from division II walk on, uh, not really believing I was going to ever play professional football, just trying to go out and be the best college football player I could be. And, um, At the end of my my career, I got calls from agents. Uh, A couple agents called me the next day after uh, my last college football game and uh, believed I could play in the NFL. And that was kind of the path of of going to play there in the NFL. And uh, one of the agencies I decided to go with wanted me to leave college early. And uh, so I ended up leaving and and going down to going back home to, to right outside of Dallas and and working out four days a week, five days a week with a, a trainer and, and getting ready for the uh, everything NFL. And, um, you know, it's a great experience for me to be in that position to, to work out on a daily grind and, and really to see the shift go in my mind from not ever thinking I would play in the NFL to, oh, man, there's people that believe I can do it. You know, I have an agent now. Like, I'm working for this goal now, and it's starting to become a reality in my mind. And um, at the same time, my offensive coordinator in college grew up with Chris Jones. Uh, Chris Jones at the time was in Montreal. Um, But, you know, he had had talked to Chris Jones about me and and different things. So, um, you know, funny story. At the end of the day, I worked out for Calgary and Montreal and, and ended up coming to Calgary.
1: So you played 11 seasons with the Stampeders and three seasons end up with Montreal, the Alouettes. Do you have one specific favorite memory from all your years in the league? I
0: always say the great cups, man. It's just, you know, it's so hard to win. You'd think with nine teams, you'd win it more. Um, but there's so much disappointment um, in the, in the years where uh, you really have a good team, um, you know, been in Calgary uh, a couple of those years, you know, 20, 2010, uh, was a year that I felt like we had a really good team. I feel like it was the best team I ever played on. And um, we came up short 2012, going to Toronto, playing Toronto in Toronto uh, in the great cup and, and coming up short. Uh, so all the disappointment that you go through uh, just to get there, uh, it means so much to you to finally get back to that uh, championship status and, and to be there in that position. So I would say the great cup stand out more uh, to me than anything else, because I, I, I basically did it at two different, um, you know, roles on the team. In uh, 2008, I was the, one of the better players. Uh, 2014, I was is more of a leader in, in helping the other guys get ready to go and, in, in accomplish the goals. You know, I did my part in whether that was blocking or making tough catches on second down and doing things like that. But other than that, um, Eric Rogers was a much better athlete than me. Kamara was a better athlete than me. Mo Price and Joe West, much better athletes than me and, and Markway McDaniel. So, um, it's good to be able to suit up with those guys and, and get it done.
1: Speaking of some of those guys, you had nine consecutive thousand yard seasons, most of which came from hell, uh fellow hall of famer, Henry Burris as your quarterback. What was your relationship with Hank back then? And do you feel like you each contributed to your, each other's success?
0: Oh, 100%. And, you know, when I talk about Hank, man, it's – I'll tell you this. When I got into the league at 21 years old um, and Henry meeting me at 22 years old, um, is one of those things where 22, 23 years old, um, Hank was just becoming a starter really for the first time, having a stable starting position in Calgary. I know he had been there before. He had started in uh, Saskatchewan the year before. But – to really find a home and to do this. And uh, you just look at the pieces we had around us and Joffrey Reynolds and and Jermaine Copeland, Kenyon Rambo, Marte Jenkins was there in 2005. Uh, We had a great nucleus of offensive weapons uh, on the field at that point. Ronnie Jenkins was there in 2005 as well. Um, Brett Ralph. So understanding what we were able to really build together uh but really it was kinda like I, I wanted to be that trust system. I didn't have the speed of Kenyon Rambo. I didn't have the um the deep ball threat like Jermaine Copeland that can make a play on any ball at any time and contort his body to 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 make those plays. Um I had a different element and, and it was really, you know, doing my thing underneath and, and being able to turn two yard catches into twenty yard catches and you know, turn ten yard catches and thirty yard catches and uh doing those and it was a good part of a system to be a part of uh, being able to block in the blocking game and, and, and run game and doing everything I needed to do. But, you know, I truly believe our success played off each other. Um, we were very young and, you know, everything is on the sleeve when you're young, right? You wearing so many emotions on your sleeve. and And I felt like a lot of those growing pains from 2005, six and seven led us to 2008 right and um and the success we had and um and still being super young when we won in 2008 uh you know everybody was saying montreal was you know this veteran team and calgary was probably still a year or two away um but to go out and win it you know it was it was great so i definitely believe that we we definitely benefited of each other but also from the the nucleus of that team
1: how did it feel to win that rookie of the year in 2004
0: Felt good, man. Um, there wasn't a lot of wins on the uh, from the team standpoint. Uh, I remember coming into professional football for the first time. You know, you got to think Division II walk on to, um, to a pro and uh, the first locker room you're stepping into. I didn't go to the NFL first. I didn't go to other leagues first. This was the first time I had my pro experience. And I just remember Trey Junkin just saying, you know, oh, he said football is a shitty business, man. And, um, you know, it's not always just about the best. And You know, if you don't want to be a part of it, you need to pack your bags and go home now. And and just understanding the reality sets in that, you know, you got to grind every day to accomplish things. And and every day, rent is due. And and you have to um, do everything it takes to to make the team. Um, Their job as scouts is to replace you on a daily basis. You know, you see people, you know, my rookie year, it was very eye-opening that, you know, five, six weeks into the season, every week you see two or three lockers out two or three new guys in. And it's like, man, you know, college, you got the same guys all year. Uh now to see the rotation, right? If you're not playing well and the team's not winning, guys are getting replaced. Um they're not waiting to the end of the year to replace you. Right? Without guaranteed contracts and and you know want to get in all that, but without the guaranteed contracts, it's easy to rip it up and replace you with somebody else to give them an opportunity. So um it's a very tough Mentally, Uh so to be able to, you know, with all the chaos, right, I think we had five or six starting quarterbacks that year, uh, Marcus Crandall, Tommy Jones, Mike Sousa, Um, I'm, I'm probably missing some, but, you know, we, we had a lot of guys there. And to be able to get a 1,000 yards in my rookie year, uh, that was, for me, that was one of the standout moments.
1: Speaking of all those uh, mental pressures, there's also the physical. Injuries are always part of the game. How difficult was it coming back from that fractured fibula in two thousand
0: eight? Man, you know, um, I guess I'll I'll start with this. I'd never. I've had some big injuries. Uh, nothing I would say major. Uh, I played with you know uh, dislocated fingers. I've played with torn cartilage and, and cracked ribs. I played with um, second degree tears in my knee uh, and different things like that of that magnitude. When I I got hurt in BC, uh, I felt it. I felt the crack and um, understanding that I broke my leg and and just really like, like, get off the field. And that was my first instinct. Let's get off the field. Uh, But then to find out, they were like, it's probably going to be a four to six week injury uh, if you don't have ligament damage. But then when they went in and they seen how much ligament damage, I tore every ligament in my ankle. So not only was it – My 10th year in the CFL, um, I felt like I was right in my prime. I'd had three straight 1,200-plus-yard seasons. I felt like, um, you know, in the first six games, I had over 400 yards, so I was on the pace for another 1,200-yard season. And I just felt like everything was clicking. Uh, To go uh, to that next level of, okay, now we have to come back from an injury, Um, finding out the news was devastating. August 17th is when it happened. August 22nd is when I had surgery. Um, They told me I wouldn't jog for four months. Uh, But just the mental determination um, and understanding my body and how we can push our bodies and and do things. And I was supposed to be in a cast for six weeks. I was in a cast for 13 days. I was supposed to be in a walking boot four weeks after the cast. Uh, I was in the walking boot for about four weeks. Um, So instead of 10 weeks uh, in a cast and walking boot, I was technically in a cast, I mean, in a cast for 13 days and a walking boot uh, for four weeks, so about six weeks. So I, I was able to cut some time there, but also just learning to wiggle one toe, to wiggle two toes, wiggle three toes to to start pressing the boundaries. Like once I felt like, uh, you know, in that four-week period, the bone's going to be healed. Now it's just the ligament damage. and And for me, it's like, how can we strengthen that back up? So having the hot tub with the treadmill in it Uh, starting to walk at five weeks, starting to go to spin class at six weeks, uh, starting to do those types of things. And, um, you know, battling it out with Huff and Dave and and the doctor. Um, You know, I'm telling them I'm going to be ready to play against Sass in the the playoff game in the Western Final. Uh, You know, the doctor's telling them it's impossible. And, you know, he sees no way for it to happen. Uh, But honestly, I got cleared four days before the game to play in that game. Um and I remember I, I came in the locker room, I told I told Huff, I was like, I'm cleared. He goes, No, you're not. He went and talked to the trainer, uh, Mikey and 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 Mike Goodman, and told him, like, yeah, he's cleared to play. And Huff was like, you know, the doctor kept telling us there was no way you were going to be cleared to play. And that was just you and your determination. But I actually got cleared uh to play in that game and, and Huff told me I could play next week in the Great Cup. Uh, but, unfortunately, we, we turned the ball over six times and didn't make it to the Great Cup, So um, it was one of the, the the hardest things I've been through. Uh, but just mentally understanding what the goal was to get back for that game, and I accomplished that goal because that was less than three months. They told me I wouldn't jog for four months. So to be cleared to play a football game in less than three months, to me, was was really um, outstanding. And then uh, that offseason was very hard for me. I took a month, month and a half off. Uh, the way we lost and, you know, just mentally, you know, you grinded all the the whole time. So taking that month and a half off, everything set in on my ankle as far as the scar tissue and everything. And all the work I had done had gotten worse. I couldn't work out two days in a row. Um, I really couldn't run too much. Uh, It was was hard. Uh, 2014 was the hardest season uh, of my career by far because – there were days I could barely make it through walkthrough, if not even, you know, make it uh, through the walkthrough, having uh, Jabari take the reps because I was so in so much pain and just waking up on game day like, God, I know you got me. And, uh, you know, we got to make it through.
1: So in retrospect, if you had played that game, do you feel like maybe Huff was trying to look out for your best interest for next season and not risk the big injury again, maybe?
0: I think it was just well, one. It was it was. You're looking at it. It's probably day two uh, when I got rele- uh, when I got released. Uh, the game plan's already set. The hardest part for me was we had locked up first place when we beat Sask in in week 17. Week 18, we go to BC. Marquay McDaniel's has a high ankle sprain, um, so he had to miss the playoff game. Uh, we lost Demonte Bolden, our starting tackle, and Micah Johnson uh, to MCL tear and ACL tear. So I felt like there were so many injuries that happened, and we weren't going to be the same team. We had a lot of young receivers: Jeff Fuller, Mo Price, and you know Joe West, and a lot of those guys that can get the job done. But for me and my confidence on being able to move the ball, we went into the fourth quarter down four. Even though, uh, if you look at you know, Brad Tanopoli, the first play of the second half, has a 40 plus yard play, broke like four or five tackles, fumbles the ball. Uh Jeff Fuller gets a a deep pass down the sidelines in the first half, catches it over the DB, turns the run. The DB hits his foot. He hits the ball off his knee. They recover it. Mo Price catches a slant. Tristan Jackson catches him about the 15-yard line and strips him. All those plays would have gotten us field goals. And if all those plays get us field goals, we're going to tie a game going into fourth quarter. And I felt like it's it's a very winnable game. And, and with my skill set, not being able to be who I was at the height of my career, but being effective to move the chains and, and probably put us in better situations, I felt like I could have done that. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think just because of knowing this guy's out. Like, he bugs me all the time. Like, he's going to be in. There's the And and trust me, the doctors are saying there is no way. You know, two weeks before that, uh, the doctor said, I'll give you two weeks. You do everything you want to do. I had two long screws in my ankle. He goes, you're going to break those screws when you start running on it and start grinding on it. And I broke them in like two or three places. And just to train, because I was out on the field training, I was doing everything I could to get ready. And when I went in on that Thursday morning, he says, "Okay, you got to do these things. And I did them. And he released me to play. Um, was I 100 percent healthy? No. But was I able to play the game at a level? Because mentally I was able to do the things right. Um, I had my first 10 catch game when against Toronto, when I tore my MCL. Or I tore my uh, meniscus and in, in, in PCL. Right. And I had a brace on. It wasn't athletic ability to get a 10 catch game. It was just understanding the game and and not being being able to play without saying I'm the more talented person out here.
1: After uh, 11 great seasons, nine consecutive thousand yard seasons, it was off to Montreal. I guess it was almost full circle because you worked out with Montreal and Calgary from the very beginning. What was the transition like heading out to Montreal?
0: You know, um, it was kind of funny because I thought I was going to retire. I'd come to peace with retiring after the, Uh, Even going to the Grey Cup game in 2014, I went by myself, not with the team, uh, just taking it all in as this is probably my last game professionally. And um, I seen Fred Stamps at a mutual friend's uh, daughter's birthday in Houston. He was like, man, come to Montreal, come to Montreal, come to Montreal. I was like, man, Montreal don't want me. Uh, Two weeks later, I get a call from Jim Pop. And uh, to be able to pass up an opportunity to suit up with Fred Stamps Uh, S.J. Green, Steph Logan, Tyrell Sutton, Brandon Rudley. You know, Brandon Whitaker was still there as well at the time. Chris Rainey was there in training camp. That backfield was uh, was ridiculous in training camp. Um, You know, Sam Jaguar. And then on the defensive side of the ball with Billy Parker and Chip Cox and and John Bowman and and a lot of those other legends. It was like, man, like that's exciting for me. And then it was just a great opportunity uh, to go there and, uh, very humbling experience.
1: Yeah, you went from the team in Calgary, which everyone considered to be like kind of the young team, the team that's not quite there, to like a seasoned veteran team in Montreal. So that must have been amazing for you to take in. Uh, the season that you broke the reception record was also your final season. What went into the decision to retire?
0: So, like I said, I, I had prepared myself to retire to twenty fourteen. Uh, 2015, I didn't get the ball early. I, I think I had about 70% of my catches in the last um, seven, to, seven to eight games. Uh, so the back end of the season, they were like, man, we're figuring out how to use you, uh, get the ball in your hands, let you make plays. So I started feeling like I've got momentum. And um, just looking at um, everything, even going into 2015, I said, you know what? Um, I talked to the guys. I said, this is probably my last game, uh, our last game of the season. I said, this is probably it, uh, you know. I'm, I I really don't know which way I'm going to go. I sat down and, and just looked, and it was like, okay, you're 153 catches from the record. Um, let's go give it a shot, but we need 80 catches in order to um, play another year. And I was able to go out and become an all-star. Uh, SJ got hurt the first or second game of the year, uh, opened up a lot of opportunities for me. I mean, I remember talking to Jim Pop before that season, and he said, hey, um, you know, you're you're not going to be the focal guy. You're probably going to be the number, you know, three or four option. And I'm like, damn, you know, I prepare to be the best. And um, no matter what the role is given, I'm going to be the best that I can be every time I get an opportunity. Uh, because, and then when SJ went down, I was ready for that moment. And um, I was able to capitalize on it, uh, put up over, you know, 1,100 yards or whatever it was and 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 become an East All-Star. But I had 102 catches, the most I ever had in the season. Um, And then it was like it's a no-brainer to go back now uh, for that last year. But I felt like those last two years, predominantly I went back for the record and and not really to, um, you know, I I still enjoy playing the game. I still love suiting up with those guys. And, you know, me, I I always love to win. I hate losing. Uh, So everything was about about getting W's. And we didn't get too many of them over there. But at the same time, uh, I was able to accomplish that.
1: And as you said, October 27th of 2017, you played your final game. You were loved by so many fans and fellow players across the country. What was the emotion that final night when that final whistle went?
0: You know, um, my first game I ever played was in uh, the old stadium in Regina. Um, You know, Taylor Field. And... They actually, the day of my last game was the day they blew up and tore down Taylor Field. It was such a full circle moment. And I just knew that, you know, to play in the new stadium, is which I, something I didn't think I'd be able to last long enough to do, um, but to play in the new stadium, understanding that it's going to end where it started in the same space. Um, I was at peace with it. And, and just understanding that everything that I was blessed to do and accomplish over my career uh, was, was truly, you know, I was so thankful and and God had blessed me with so much. And, um, you know, a lot of the guys, you know, even being in Montreal, like around young guys like uh, Vernon Adams in his first year in the CFL coming in and Brandon bridge and, and Cato. And um, a lot of those young guys, Tanner Marsh and, and Jonathan Crompton and, um, even though I did get to suit up with Darren Durant that year and, you know, and Shilton, and KG, it was such a such an awesome way to, to really, you know, just be impactful in more ways than just on the field to other people in their careers. And, um, you know, it, it was good. It was good. I, I feel like i built some lifelong bonds and uh, most people don't know this, but Brian Phillips was there that year as well. Uh, in training camp, we had Ryan Phillips, Javon Johnson. Um, I thought they played well. Uh, you know, them getting cut at some point or Ryan Astley, whatever that ended, I thought was, was crazy because obviously he was still one of the best guys. I mean, we still cut Don Yanamba that year too. And I, I just don't understand some of the decisions that were made. I mean, you look at you look at a, a defensive backfield and, and you have all those guys back there with vet with knowledge that can play the game at a high level when you need it most Um, it's, but you know, decisions are made, but going through training camp with Javon and, and, um, and all those guys, it's, it's just, it's great when you can see other greatness around you and see how they compete at practice, see how they prepare for games, what they do before the games, how they are. So um, I've always enjoyed it. So, after that you know
1: amazing career, the hall came calling. Uh, what was the process for that,
0: and how did you find out? So my dad had just asked me like, maybe four or five days before. he's like, so when did they pick the Hall of Fame? Because he knew this was my first year, or 2021 would be my first year to be eligible for the Hall of Fame. I said, man, I have no idea." what the process is I have no idea when they announce it I don't like I've never kept up with when they announce the Hall of Famers and things like that so I didn't know like when it happens um I get a call from Matt Dunnigan and you know we're in we're in uh COVID and I'm thinking they're doing something special on TSN because they need to you know for some content or whatever But he calls me and the first thing um, he asked about was mom. And my mom had just passed away. So when I told him, um, you know, we were talking about that. And then he was just like, you know, Nick, um, when you first came to Calgary and he starts going through all these things and um, it was just like a surreal moment because he's going through like just his perspective of me in my rookie year then to what I became. And as I continue to grow and, and do things and accomplish, um, he was the one that gave me the opportunity. I mean, there's a lot of people out there and like he was ultimately the GM that gave me the only opportunity uh, to be a pro athlete. And um, and that's one of the things I've always took to heart. You know, I love Matt. Uh, he's a great dude. And just listening to him say that I thought it, was because of my mom and just, you know, we just having that moment and he just told me, he's like, man, it's a, I'm just so glad and blessed to, to be able to call you to let you know you'll be going to the hall of fame. And I was like, man, honestly, like tears just started streaming down my face and it was just, most of it is my mom, right? She's been such an inspirational part of that. And I just miss, her not being able to call her and share it with her. And it was one of those things where I'm glad Matt got to make the call, right? Because he's seen me from day one. He's seen me um, do what I did from, from day one. And, you know, I remember we we're playing Edmonton in Labor Day rematch. And he says, hey, rookie, you you hit the wall yet? I said, man, I'm just getting started. And uh, it, was, it was always a great relationship. And I'm always so thankful to see him. And, um, yeah, I'm glad we got to share that moment together. And what
1: was the moment like when you were on the field being announced as now a Hall of Famer?
0: You know the the whole experience is is, is crazy because I'm, I'm glad my family got to come. You know, um, they'd never been to uh, a lot to Eastern Canada, and they got to experience uh, Toronto, Niagara Falls, Hamilton, and and do all those things. Uh, but being on the field and you just look across and you see other legends. Right. And it's just like, man, you're going into a group of the best to ever do it. And it's so surreal. Right. I'm just a, I'm a kid that was a fan of G Roy Simon and Milt Stiegel that watched them to learn as much as I could from afar. Um, Such a fan of Kenyon Rambo and Jermaine Copeland and uh, so many other great receivers, Jason Tucker and Terrence Edwards and, uh, Romby Bryan and, and and you know, huge fan of Mike Wervin and and to be able to take, you know, Chris Carter and and try to incorporate all those people into my skill set to accomplish one goal, to be the best me I could be, it it was just a surreal moment. And, you know, there's so many things and and so many people that are part of the journey. Um and I always felt like that day was theirs because most people don't get to say thank you for your sacrifices, uh, for allowing us to play the game. Uh, But the people that make it to the hall get to get to do a formal thank you to all their supporters, to uh, their family and friends that sacrifice time, uh, you know, missing funerals, missing birthdays, missing uh, just time together uh, to accomplish a goal. You know, it kind of comes full circle again now.
1: January 3rd of 2023, the Calgary Stampeders announced that yourself and Jawan Simpson are coming back home, but as coaches. Are you excited to uh, to take on this challenge now to uh, instill some of that knowledge into the guys since you're going to have a really young locker room, most notably like Jalen Philpot.
0: 100%. You know, I'm I, I looking at the roster, uh, we got some nice young Canadian talent. Um, Middlemost. Uh, Jalen, uh, um, Luther, you know Colton, uh, nice group of Canadian young receivers. And I feel like one of my biggest strengths is um, I've been a trainer for 17 years uh, training high school and college athletes and some pro athletes and you know from all different positions. but to be able to take them and, and to continue to mold them to create their best self, we have a great group of American receivers. You know, we got some young guys on the roster, uh, but you got a guy, Malik Henry, who's, who's starting to chip that iceberg and, and ready to go up. You, you got guys like uh, Reggie Bagleton, who's who starting to build a, a solid career, right? So looking forward to continue to put that together. And for me, I'm all about mindset mentality. We're going to have a mindset when we touch the field. We're going to have a mentality uh, we're going to play with swagger and we're going to have fun. And, um, I've never had fun getting my ass whooped. So the only way you can have fun is if you're going out and dominating the man across from you and, and getting, you know, doing what you're supposed to do. So we will be prepared. We will be exciting, uh, to watch. And, you know, we're going to have a mentality and, um, I'm excited to be able to work with these young men. And like I said, it's not about me. It's about creating their best self. And each one of them is different. I can't take a, a, a approach with each one of them the same, right? It's different relationships built with each one that allows them to become their best self on the field and off the field, right? We want to have great men in the community uh, because that's where it really makes a huge difference uh, to what we're doing. So, you know me, I'm all about the fans. I'm all about uh, bringing people together. So I- I'm definitely looking forward to um, doing my part. And finally, uh, you mentioned
1: to me prior that you know you also run your own company. Uh, tell us about that.
0: Yeah, AO Sports, man. It's an athlete-owned sports. It's a sports media platform uh, that we'll be launching uh, this year. I'm so excited. I've been working on it for the last three years. We have just over 100 uh, content creators in nine different countries and 16 different sports. Um, we have some people from some major sports networks coming over as well uh, to host their own shows. And and we're all about you know, the freedom of, of being who you are, uh, providing your sports media uh, in whatever capacity that is. But also, um, we go in and work with with these athletes, but also work with these sports content creators to give them an infrastructure to allow them to have success, right? Whether it's marketing, branding, uh, sponsorship support uh, in different areas to to really help them live that and, you know... As you know, podcasting is very hard on, on these streaming sites because um, 15 cents and uh, a view and, and different things is, is very hard. Uh, I have seen even with Spotify. Somebody was talking about music. Uh, a million streams on Spotify. And then for it to count as a stream, it's got to be at least 18 seconds listened to. But a million streams is only $3,000. Right? So we're going to change the game when it comes to uh, monetization uh, for your sports content content. Um, that you're providing and we're looking for the best, right? Um, it's, it's going to be a, it's going to be a mix of what you see on linear cable uh, from type shows, but also uh, from sports content creators in a, in a subscription based platform. So uh, looking forward to bringing that to you. We have NFL hall of famers, uh, NHL, uh, former NHL greats, NBA players, um, European basketball. We have, uh, we have uh, Olympians you know, uh, two of the top 10 racquetball players in the world. And uh, so there's going to be a wide variety of sports. It's going to be a wide variety of content uh, from either podcasting, reality shows, documentaries, um, and it's going to be a lot of fun. But we're also going to have that social engagement as well because our fans are going to win dream trips to their sporting dream trips, uh, get to do some really cool things. And uh, it's all about how we can support each other.
1: That sounds amazing. I can't wait to see it when it launches. It was an honor and a pleasure chatting with you today. Congratulations on an amazing career and a hall of fame. And I can't wait
0: to see you behind the bench in 2023. I appreciate it, brother. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Calgary, get ready. It's, you know, it's, it's about to go down. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you. That was our
1: conversation with hall of fame receiver, Nick Lewis. And we can't wait to see when AO Sports launches. When it does, we will be sure to put the links up in our profile page as well. And speaking of profile, you can always follow us on Instagram at Podcast, And you can find us on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Google, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. That is it for us this week. We'll be back again next week with a brand new episode. And until then, we'll see you later.